0: the power of their data wasabi, another Boston based championship
1: team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi,
2: everybody, and welcome to our Winter Meetings podcast. If you missed our show on our flagship, guess what? You're in luck. And if you caught the show on our flagship, stick around because What we did for that half hour program uh, on our flagship show was we shortened some of the interviews up. So the interviews here are in their entirety and we added a bonus for you. So on the podcast, you're going to hear from Dave and Andy. We'll do a kind of wrap up. Uh, You'll hear from Ray's executive vice president and GM, Eric Neander, on what's taken place to this point and what the priorities are. Uh, And we'll also hear from a couple of really good analysts on a national level, Jason Stark of the Athletic and MLB Network, and Mike Farron, who is one of the broadcasters for the Diamondbacks, but for this purpose is, he also does a power alley on Sirius XM, um, and so certainly a great guest to have. We start, though, with Dave and Andy and touch base on uh, really where we are so far this winter.
1: I, it's a typical raise. I mean, uh, I think we kind of uh, you know get together, and I don't, I don't know if circle the wagons is the right term, but... You know, after just an incredible 2020 season in which this team, I think, exceeded expectations. Uh, Obviously, a year ago at this time, we're uh, all giddy with the fact that we took the Astros to Game 5, that we anticipated this team uh, with the core being back to be a very good team in 2020. And uh, a lot of people expected this team to be better than they were in 2019, and they were. I mean, we made it to six games in the World Series. We beat a very, very good Blue Jays team in the first round. Uh, took five games to get rid of the Yankees, seven games to get rid of the Astros, and took the uh, uh, Dodgers to six games. So now you start to sit there and go, well, how can we get better? Well, I I don't know of too many teams, Neil, that have increased winning percentages like the Rays have had here in the last three years. Uh, What they did uh, going from uh, 18 to 19 to 20 is uh, really, really impressive. And ultimately, Andy, as we said, win two out of every three games during the regular season was uh, remarkable. Uh, but now you lose Charlie Morton and, uh, you know, Charlie was a big part of the squad, both uh, when he was on the bump and when he wasn't. And uh, those are some big shoes that the Rays are going to have to fill. And I think we know that there's going to be maybe a painful move here or there that's going to uh, punch us in the gut. Losing Charlie was uh, definitely one of those moves. There might be another move or two. But uh, and Eric, I trust. And, uh, you know, again, a virtual winter meetings going on right now. Not as busy as maybe uh, some of the winter meetings have been in the past. But we know that the Rays Andy, lay a lot of groundwork at this particular time to get ready to make some moves. And there's going to be some turnover. There usually is about 25 to 30 percent turnover, even on a good year for the Tampa Bay Rays.
3: Yeah, without a doubt that when you look every year and most teams don't repeat to the World Series and in part because some of the things don't line up, maybe some of the luck doesn't go this way or that way. I I think the Rays are one of those teams that could buck that trend. Now, look, getting to the World Series is, you know, you got to go through that gauntlet of the postseason. So sometimes that can can knock you out. But I do think this team has very high expectations going into 2021. There's no reason not to. Uh, I think from a pitching standpoint, they'll be able to uh, withstand the loss of Charlie Morton. uh, But it's going to take probably several guys. And I still think the Rays could actually be active on the free agent market to plug in. Uh, some of those innings and some of those quality innings now with regard to replacing Charlie, I I think he played such a large role on this team, even on the days where he wasn't on the mound. I think he really added an air of confidence to this race group. Uh, And now hopefully they have some of that. And I agree with what you're saying, Dave and Eric, we trust, you know, we used to say in Andrew, we trust, and it wasn't blind faith. It was because you look at what they had done to get us to that point. Yes. Whenever there's going to be some sort of move where someone is subtracted from the team, uh, that went to the World Series last year, people will be upset. But there were many times that people were upset in what ended up being the building of the 2020 Rays. Whether you go back to early spring training 2018, uh, but some of those moves helped grease the skids for later moves that helped out the Rays, uh, it, almost immeasurably. So it's, it's always a bumpy road. It's supposed to be, and it's not just the Rays. I think sometimes people forget that other teams lose players to free agency and have to make trades. The Rays, though, have such a high standard because they can't make a big mistake because they have such a narrow berth to, to wigwag their way through postseason.
2: No doubt. And I think a lot of times when people look at where we are or okay, Charlie Morton left, they're looking for the immediate move and not as the end of the regular season or postseason as a starting point and the start of spring training really as that end point in terms of your off season and just looking at the sum total from those two points of view.
3: Yeah, I mean, also, we have to remember that, um, I mean, Charlie is, what, 30, going to be 37 years old. Uh, we don't know what he would have been this year. It'll be interesting, and I think we're all pulling for him with the Braves. I'd love to see Charlie do well. I think he, he leaves behind a very good legacy, but at some point, the younger guys that you have have to get better. I mean, th- that's basically how the Rays got better from 07 to 08. Yes, they added new players, but those players got better, uh, and, uh, and they continued to through 2010, some of those young guys were getting better and better. And then through 12 and then through 13, then it stepped back a little bit. I think we need to see some of the players from last year get better. Uh, Not to put pressure on guys like, for example, Shane McClanahan, but that's a guy who's only appeared in postseason, but you'd like to think that he learned and he can be uh, better than he was in 2020, in 2021. You would see development of young guys like Shane Boz. You want to see guys like even Ryan Yarbrough get better uh, than what he was. So maybe if he were to start a a game three of a postseason series uh, in tandem, maybe with someone else or not, you know, you could do that. There are other guys that I'm, I'm blanking off the top of my head, but basically the core group, they, the, the guys who need to continue to get better in particular, the pitchers.
1: You know, Josh Fleming was a guy who did some nice things last year, uh, you know, as well, Aaron Sleggers uh, did some really good things, uh, which was kind of, kind of a surprise. And I, I think what you have, you know, you're looking at right now is is you know, Charlie Morton moved on. All right. So what do you do with those $15 million? Are you able to spend all, 15 of those million and you probably i don't think the rays are going to do it with one guy neil i think they're going to end up uh spreading it out over maybe two or three guys and maybe get a guy or two that you can help plug in in the in the uh, bullpen as well and also uh, add another guy to the rotation or maybe two guys to the rotation to try and pick up some of the bulk that charlie leaves behind you know my main concern is i look ahead to 2021 is uh, i know how good our bullpen was but our bullpen was showcased almost on a nightly basis against the American League East constantly. And, you know, we saw that they may have ran out of a little gas in the postseason, especially in the World Series. You know, you got some people saying, well, that's what happens when you face a team, uh, you know, six consecutive days or six consecutive times that uh, they get exposed a little bit. I think they were worn down and they were also facing a very, very good Dodger team. But think about it. Last year, 60 games by that bullpen and 60 games against the American League East where they were exposed an awful lot. So you're looking ahead to, 2021 who knows what the schedule is going to be like is it going to be 162 games is it going to be dwindled a little bit but i think if i'm the raise i'm looking to bolster that bullpen a little bit to take some of the load off of nick anderson pete fairbanks and a few of the other guys that he'd love to go to that kevin cash love pressing their buttons diego castillo and then supplement him with maybe a couple two or three guys with that money that you were going to use for charlie morton and who knows maybe another uh big money guy might be moved before it's all said and done
2: and I think a piece of the offseason that we'll probably talk about a lot more in spring training are the non-roster guys, with Jalen Beeks, Colin Poche, Yanni Chirinos, all likely to start next year on the 60-day IL. I mean, that creates a path for non-roster guys, and who wouldn't want to work with Kyle Snyder, et cetera, the way that those he and
1: Stan have held pitchers over the years? Well, who thought that, uh, you know, I mentioned Aaron Slegers and Andy mentioned John Curtis. I mean, a year ago at this particular time, we mentioned John Curtis and Aaron Sleggers and we'd be like, oh, yeah, all right, well. Maybe they're going to help the Durham Bulls, but uh, I don't anticipate them being uh, a guy that's going to help the Tampa Bay Rays. We wouldn't get to the World Series without those guys. We also, uh, you know, you think about uh, some of the other, uh, you know, Pete Fairbanks was a guy that, you know, we picked up a couple of years ago from the Texas Rangers. uh, And, you know, Ryan Thompson, uh, a guy that was a Rule 5 pickup on a day when uh, Rule 5 drafts uh, took place today. So, you know, there are going to be some surprises and some guys who show up next year in Port Charlotte, if that's where spring training is going to be at, that uh, might not be on our radar right now here in mid-December, but uh, come uh, April, uh, May, and June are hopefully going to be big parts of uh, the race success in 2021.
3: Let me ask you guys this. I'm curious your thoughts, because this is something that's been rattling around in my, in my head, is that, you know, say a young guy like a Joe Ryan, who the guys are, who the Rays are really big on, and some of those other younger pitchers, without really a year of traditional development, uh, what that could be like for them if they can get a chance to pitch in the majors. And I have to think that several of them will be asked to pitch in the majors this year. Uh, if you, ask, if, if you go from ninth grade to 10th grade, it's one thing, but what if you're asked to go from ninth grade to 11th grade and you really didn't have that, that 10th grade, uh, it might be a little bit different. And in the same respect, uh, the fact that some of those guys were exposed, just like Dave is saying the uh, all those games that they were used within the division, not to mention then in the postseason, and, and the Dodgers got runs against all of them in the postseason. but where not many teams were scoring against Castillo or Fairbanks or Anderson, they were scoring against the all in the same game. Is there some concern that the league might've caught up to some of those guys that maybe they'll have to make some sort of adjustments. I, I don't know if you over adjust, but it, it just, you know, the, the worrisome side of me is like, well, what did we see them at their best? Are they going to be able to continue to, to dominate teams the way they did last year.
1: Well, oh, I mean, we talked about that guys. I mean, you know, think about this. If, if we're sitting here doing this show a year ago and we said, Hey folks, don't worry. The Rays are still going to get to the world series, but Yanni Chirinos, Jalen Beeks, Andrew Kittredge, uh, Brendan McCarthy, or, or uh, 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 <laughs> Bren McKay and, and company. I mean, all those guys are going to go down with season ending arm injuries, but don't worry. This team's still going to go to the world series. You'd, be, you'd have to be nuts to think that, but, it's all about depth. And that's why I think that, uh, you know, again, we've heard Stu say it. I know Eric has said it. I know we preach it in the broadcast booth uh, between the three of us, pitching, pitching, pitching. I think the Rays are really going uh, to look uh, to uh, get some pitching depth. And you mentioned Joe Ryan. I mean, it's like uh, me going from eighth grade uh, math to uh, freshman year high school algebra honors, and I never took algebra. And so <laughs> to say, like, I don't know how in the world that happened. And uh, it, it was a, uh, Uh, and I've been told there'd be no math in this broadcast. So uh, it's just one of those things where there are going to be some pains. And uh, depending on the length of the season next year, we're going to see, I think we need more and more pitching uh, both in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. And I'm sure Eric is uh, aware of that along with obviously finding a catcher or two.
2: Yes. And uh, I, I won't really add to the math equation here, Dave, but I will say this, the Rays did make a small move, uh, to trade Nate Lowe to the Rangers for minor leaguers. And that does get the 40-man roster down to 38, which means that you do have a couple spots to start to add, whether it's pitching or catching. And as we know, the more of that you can find, the better off this group will be.
3: Yeah, but, but are we overlooking? so For some reason, that to me, even though the Dodgers scored those runs against the Rays relievers and they were probably worn down, and we know the Rays are first and foremost about pitching – But the reason, the number one reason the Rays probably didn't win the World Series is they just, they didn't hit. They they hardly hit through the League Championship Series. They hit in basically two games of the Division Series. They had that one breakout inning in, what, Game 3 of the LCS and hardly scored anything in the the World Series. Games 5 and 6, you know, this World Series could and probably should have turned after Game 4. Game 5 after Margot tries to steal home, it doesn't work. And we're thinking, well, this team is going to score some sort of offense. They didn't score runs, and then they get one run on the who ran a first inning homer in Game Six. I got to think this offensive unit for the Rays has to be better than what it was in the postseason because you just can't win every game one nothing. And we all know it led to the fateful decision of Snell coming out. That's the reason why Snell came out.
1: So I'm hoping that there's some sort of focus on this team getting better offensively. Yeah, and, it, and it, you know, obviously there was some room for improvement offensively behind the plate. Uh, with our catching core. I mean, I thought Mike Zanino uh, obviously did some nice things in the postseason, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. But going back to Nate Lowe's trade, uh, you know, I I think there's a guy that we we both raved about the look of his swing. I just think that both Andy and I, and I know, Neil, we can say this for you as well, we would like to have seen that swing be a little more aggressive at times. I think he uh, uh, was up there sometimes waiting for that perfect pitch and it just never came. So uh, this opens up a lane for him to go play maybe a little more with the Texas Rangers who are on a bit of a rebuild and as you said opened up a couple of spots now on the uh, 40 man so that the rays might be able to make a move or two to uh add to the uh the pitching and and then also you know you look at the offense and I know a lot of people are still waiting on Wander Franco uh or Franco whichever we're going to be going with once the season gets going but uh you know here's the guy with incredible bat to ball skills that uh you know I think the rays were uh maybe a little uh little beat up at the end and and really did look like they were swinging wet noodles as one pitcher told us uh while we were in Texas and I think the bats look like they started to get heavy. I, I, Willie's going to hit I think Willie Adamas is going to be better. We're going to see Brandon uh, loud be better and congratulations to him being a second team, all major league baseball player. Uh, I think G uh, did some nice things when he was out there. Obviously Randy did what he did. Margot did what he did. I thought Kiermaier had a nice world series and did some nice things, but uh, yeah, there is some room for improvement uh, for this race offensively. And uh, you know, again, uh, we talk about pitchers, you know, Being young and getting better, Uh, our our team is still a relatively young team of the position players, and so as we look ahead to 2021, are they going to be a year older? Are they going to be a year better? Some of them, hopefully, will be a year better too.
2: Well, I just hope that we're all a year wiser when we get started in 2021, and um, I hope for all of us it's a safe and happy holiday season, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us.
1: It's it's good to be talking baseball again, and uh, you know, again, I'm anxious. A, A year ago. Really, uh, you know, set the, what the appetite with the way that this team played in 2019. Uh, I know that we don't, you know, Andy sometimes likes to say that he doesn't like going into a World Series or bus type year, but that's really what it was. We're close to it for 2020. And congratulations to the Tampa Bay Rays. We hope that, uh, again, in a real, real tough year uh, for a lot of people, both because of COVID or jobs or what have you, uh, that for three or four hours tonight, and in the case of game four, for about four and a half hours that particular night. Uh, we brought you guys, uh, some fans, uh, some, some fun. And uh, this was really, really, it was a pleasure to call those games this year. And I'm anticipating that 2021 is going to be another fun season for the Tampa Bay Rays.
2: Really good stuff from Dave and Andy uh, and their take on the winters so far. And who better to kind of break things down with than the Rays Executive Vice President and General Manager Eric Neander. And we had a chance to chat with him after the virtual winter meetings concluded. Not not
4: much different than where the week started going into the virtual meetings. Um, you know, we, we still need to figure out the catching position. It's clear as clear can be, and still need to add some options to our our length mix mix um, for for our rotation. Uh, so those are those are goals that that still exist and um, will will continue to exist. But I, the the trade with Nate. Um, did did accomplish something feel like that was a a good baseball trade for for both sides and uh, matched up with what we were trying to accomplish well uh, with with Texas there and um, gives us a little more flexibility on our 40-man roster gives Nate um, a better opportunity and a little more space than than what he had here with our mix and uh, allowed us to acquire three prospects that we're really excited about and expect to impact us sometime down the road.
2: So does the move basically affirm a how much you like G Man Choi and some of the other players who may can either fill into first base or DH and also, you know, just the opportunity that he wasn't going to get because of that?
4: Yeah, I, I think we have a lot of left-handed hitters that can be in our first base DH mix in particular. And uh, it was a bit crowded and it's prevented Nate from having the chance to really establish himself and just receive consistent playing time, and I don't think that certainly the way things gone there. You know, I, I thought he did a really well, good job, and I think we all did. felt they did a really good job with the opportunities provided, and um, it was time for him to to get a little bit more. But yeah, we have, you know, we have, you know, we think highly of Nate and his abilities and his potential to be a major league contributor. Um, but we feel the same way about. G-Man, about Austin Meadows, about, you know, Yoshi and where he's at. And so, you know, you have these other options that are in that mix as well. And um, you know, this, like I said, allowed us to to, to repurpose things a little bit um, in a way that we felt made more sense.
2: The three players you got are all 20 years of age. Um, which of them are you highest on and has maybe the quickest path to the big leagues?
4: Um <laughs> Quickest path. We'll we'll see. There's there's a lot of distance between being 20 and reaching the big leagues um, for, for many. And, and, and certainly with just 2020 um, and all the uncertainty that that's piled on top of being 20 and then experiencing a year like that. There's a lot that um, we want to see about about these guys, you know, firsthand and, and to get them to, you know, if it's our, our, our complex um, in the Dominican this winter or just getting them, you know, into port charlotte for for spring training but we're we're really excited about all three um heriberto hernandez is uh the piece that um really served as the the accelerator of sorts for us to get some momentum to find a deal here um and he's someone that spent some time behind the plate he spent some time in the outfield um those are Two avenues, we'll, we'll explore both, but the primary excitement with him is his bat um, and the bat potential. And someone that our staff's identified as someone, you know, that, that very well could be an impact bat down the line. Um, and that's that's been supported by everybody that weighs in in our, um, in our evaluation processes. So um, that's where he is. Ovias, um, this will be his third organization. Um, and uh, left-handed bat, but another bat that has a real feel to hit. Um, you know, want to get them in get them out, but, you know, left-handed bat that really encouraged by his offensive potential. Um, and then, and then Basabi is somebody that, uh, another infielder, uh, another middle infielder that can go in a variety of directions, but a real feel for contact, uh, growing into his body, starting to impact the ball a little bit more than, than what we've seen in the past. And, you know, you, you never know which way these guys can go when they're 20 years old and they come with a lot of uncertainty, but, um, three just talents and, and skill sets that that we think um, have the chance to step forward in a variety of ways and all a little different, but all, all exciting.
2: With the move you made with Nate Lowe and the one before the deadline, you've got 38 on the 40. How close are you to filling either of those spots with either trade or free agents right now?
4: Ho- hopefully, hopefully close. Um, we've got a, <laughs> we've got some work to do. So if we could, if we could knock some out, um, That'd be nice uh, just to to shorten the to-do list um, as as each day goes by but uh, we're we're working at it Um, you know the catcher is a clear need and it's a there's a limited number of options in free agency that that have the potential to fill those spots and um, there are a limited number of options in the trade market that teams are willing to consider parting with because of just how critical the position is and there just aren't that many catchers to go around so um, hopefully we can, we can put them to good use soon. Um, we, you know, these moves weren't forced because another move was right around the corner. That wasn't the reason to do these, but we did recognize and we were aware that and are aware that we are going to have to have some ads to our 40 minute at some point. And when an opportunity like this came across as, you know, a deal that made sense otherwise to have that added benefit, you know, we, it, it'll certainly help us down the line and allow us to keep some other players on our 40 that might otherwise get pushed off.
2: You mentioned adding catching, but how close are you in terms of potentially adding pitching? Because I know you want to add depth to bulk and starting guys.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having catching needs and pitching needs are, we're not alone. (laughs) We're we're joined by 29 other clubs. So um, we've, we've got a lot of lines in the water. We're having a lot of conversations. Um, You know, I, I think one thing that you hope on the free agent side that, Will, will carry some appeal is you, you you look at the work that Kyle Snyder, Stan Borowski and our staff have done to, to develop pitchers and to help them find higher levels of success at the major league level, um, you know, for a free agent uh, that could come in and, and be in that environment and have the, the opportunity to work for, for those guys, you know, there's, there's guys, we can, we can target the right names, you know, to, to, to sync them up with them and to pair them up with them. Um, I think there's some appeal, you know, we're really, we're a good pitching organization. We've helped guys grow at the major league level and we're a good team. So that certainly helps get some interest, um, you know, but with a lot of those guys, we're we're usually not the only, the only shopper for their services.
2: No, no question about that. Um, Would you say this was a faster moving winter meetings because it was virtual of the normal, did more go on or did less go on?
4: Um, I, I think Less went on because, from an internal standpoint, you know, just not having the face time, not having the opportunity to to enjoy the company of, of one another in a setting that is unlike any other time of year. You know, in terms of the, the people that are getting together, um, and, and we missed that part. You missed the opportunity to to spend time with the affiliates and, and the people that mean so much. You know, with the uh, um, you know at, at each uh, location. <laughs> Um, so that, that was very different. Uh, but when it comes to the roster, you know, in the conversations with other clubs, with agents, I, pretty similar. You know, it have the ability to do so much by phone, by Zoom uh, these days that, uh, you know, you can, you can do the job from, from just about anywhere.
2: And from a market standpoint, you know, you read a lot about a lot of teams not wanting to add payroll. Not, I'm not talking about you particularly, but the industry. Does that make it harder to make trades, do you think?
4: Well, there's, we're still in the experiencing this pandemic and all the effects of it. And it's, it it adds, there's a complexity that that comes with that, that is not usually there. (laughs) And, and so, um, you know, we're, we're all trying to win games. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. And, um, that makes it challenging in and of itself when you layer that on top. Yeah. There's some, there's some extra difficulty that, that comes with it. But again, we're all, we're all in the same boat. We all recognize that. And I think more than anything um, I, I think our organization's approach is to try to just be as transparent as possible and to communicate, you know, as openly as possible with, our peers, um, to, to best understand where we are, to allow them to best understand where we are and to hopefully get that reciprocated in return. Um, because we all know there, there are some difficulties that are in place this year that are not normally there. And, um, a little more for us to understand on each side in terms of what we're trying to accomplish because of that.
2: On the flip side of that, there may be a benefit. And that is, you may, you've seen a lot of players sign for one year deals this year or two. That's usually a market where you're in. Does that help you if there are more players signing one and two year deals?
4: yeah i um I suppose it depends on how how much and this and that but i it's really you know I, I think the the interesting part of this off season is i think less that and more that we're trying to pass judgment on somewhere between sixty and eighty game seasons you know like i said uh, internally at least we have the, you know we have the privilege of playing as deep as we did in the postseason that picked up an extra 20 games to help assess our group. At least we got to 80, but you know, you're, you're evaluating performances across the league over 60 games, you know, and for a starter, you're talking about, you know, 10 to 12 starts, you know, you're talking about, um, fractions of a of a normal season and and that leads to a lot more uncertainty um and that's been kind of fun just to try to cut through that and to understand it and you hope with that uncertainty comes a little more opportunity for us to to jump on the guys that we think are best for us
2: and because of that only playing 60 or 80 or whatever it is do you think you need more bulk and starter guys than you would normally going from 160 to 60 to 160
4: yeah yes um very very clearly um you know, you you, talked about this the other day, you you hope that playing a 60 game season, you might not need as much. And we, we got hit pretty hard with, um, with, with pitcher injuries, unfortunately, and, and many that are going to affect us next year as well. So we're starting from a standpoint where we're not as healthy as we'd like to be, you know, regardless of the, um, the disruptions we've, we've gone through, but to go from a, you know, an 80-game season for our guys to, to now go back up to 162. And that's the expectation that, um, yeah, you know, the, the workload attrition, the physical attrition, you know, how do, how do guys come out of that? How do we take care of them? Um, it's Throwing a baseball is not natural as it is, you know, making sure that we put them in the best position, not only to have success but to be healthy for 2021 and beyond is, is going to be at the forefront of our mind. And almost certainly that's going to require more – options on hand than, than what we have right now. And hopefully with that opportunity and those needs there, there are players out there that desire to, to come here and to compete and to be part of a winning club and uh, that we can fill it
2: out. And, and on that end, you have a tight 40, but also guys like Jalen Beeks, Colin Poche, Yanni Chirinos, who if they're with you would end up more than likely in the 60 day IL. Does that create more interest from agents, For guys who, okay, if I've got to accept a minor league deal, I know there's a really good chance of turning it into something.
4: Yeah. Uh, You, you, you know, it's something when you have conversations with players and agents about minor league opportunities, you know, how, you know, how feasible is the, the question's always like, what's my path to making the club? You know, how can I how can I make this club? How can I make this 40-man roster? And if I make it to 40, how can I make it to 25? Um, we know right now we're going to have several spots that will be open to us um, once we're allowed to, to 60-day some of these guys, and that will happen at the beginning of camp. So um, that is... The, the opportunity that, that comes in an unfortunate situation with the help of those that you mentioned um, and, and something hopefully that allows us to attract some of the more desirable non-roster possibilities because they know that we're going to have the spots that allow merit-based uh, competitions in spring for some of these roles.
2: Eric, I know you got a lot of work ahead, but good luck. We appreciate some time and enjoy the holidays as best you can.
4: All right. Thanks, Neil. Happy holidays to, to you and, and to all of our fans.
2: Great to chat with the Rays Executive Vice President and uh, General Manager in Eric Neander. Next up on the program, we certainly appreciate the chance to talk with this guy, Jason Stark of the Athletic and MLB Network.
5: Neil, how are you, my friend? I'm sitting here in Pennsylvania watching snowflakes fall <laughs> outside my window. So certainly doesn't, You're better off where you are.
2: Yeah, certainly doesn't feel like baseball, <laughs> that's for sure. And in this virtual winter meetings, what has it been like And and – from your standpoint um has it been a non-starter compared to other winter meetings <laughs> yeah uh somebody mentioned to me
5: uh yesterday that the bar seemed like it was a lot less crowded and a lot less <laughs> well-stocked <laughs> so it's hard not to agree with that it it's really strange to even contemplate the idea that the virtual version of the winter meetings has any resemblance to actual winter meetings you know just something that happens when a thousand people from one line of work show up at the same place now we don't see general managers presidents of baseball ops front office delegations quite the way we used to even 10 years ago 15 years ago but there's still um There's a dynamic that takes place, Neil, when everybody's there in person, has the opportunity to meet in person, talk in person, just run into each other in the hall. Things happen the way they did last year at the winter meetings. We had like, it felt like we had 20 free agents sign in 36 hours. There's none of that. I mean, I do think this is a signal to everyone it's time to move, but it's like, it's slow, man. There's no doubt about it.
2: By and large, what gets the market moving? Because for the most part, we've seen very few trades. And for the most part, the contracts have been predominantly one and very few multi-year deals.
5: Look, this is a unique year for every reason. Uh, It's 2020. (laughs) No reason to think that the baseball offseason would be any different. But there's so much uncertainty on so many fronts. Um, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. How many games we're going to have next year, when the season's going to start, how large roster sizes will be, whether there'll be a DH. And that's everybody in the sport. Nobody knows these things. Uh, teams, whether you you want to think that what's happened over the last year has damaged their long-term profitability, let's not debate that right now. An enormous amount of debt has been accumulated uh, a whole lot of revenues, millions of dollars have disappeared, billions across the industry. And that's obviously having an impact, too. Almost no teams are adding money. Very few. I I, I mean, I could count them on one hand, probably, teams I expect to add payroll. And so that's an issue. And then you've got 300 free agents, counting minor league free agents, and over 200 major league free agents. Think about all that. Plus, I mean, I, I actually think the... The top of this market, the stars in this market, Bauer, JT Rumuto, George Springer, Marcelo Zuna, DJ lemahieu they compare to the top of last year's market. But once you get beyond them, I don't think you have the star power. So, like, all of this is converging to slow movement. And I think you'll see some runs on different positions. Catcher could be one, right, if James McCann signs. Um, starting pitching could be one if Bauer signs. There, but it, it it takes the big guys going off the board to help
2: shape the market. And from a trade standpoint, we've seen what? Rysell Iglesias get moved by the Reds. We've seen Lance Lynn get moved by the Texas Rangers. Those are guys who just had one year left on their deals. Are those the kind of moves we'll see in the trade market, or could it get more robust? And if so, what kind of yields a more robust trade market when teams are not looking to necessarily add payroll?
5: Well, we're going to find out, aren't we? Um, Francisco Lindor, he's down to his last year. Um, how marketable is he? Um, it can be hard to move a guy like that for a big return, who's got one year left. Um, I don't. I don't think it's any secret that the Rays are listening on Blake Snell. Right, uh, there's a guy with three years of control left, and they want a big. They want a big haul. I mean, one team told me that they're looking for the Chris Archer deal 2.0 after the way the Chris Archer deal turned out for the pirates. I'm not sure any team would, would make that deal with the Rays, but it's possible. Like you could see a team like the Padres, Ken Rosenthal and I have reported they're definitely poking around deep system urgency to win. Like you could see the fit there. Um, Here's what I think is the big factor in the trade market though. Beyond all that, it's, Are there difference-making players you can trade for uh, versus are there difference-making players you can sign and not give up any prospects? And I think at some of these positions, starting pitching would be a big one. Once you get past Trevor Bauer, who's the difference-maker, right? Who is the, the guy who changes the fate of your team? Whereas Blake Snell does that. Sonny Gray potentially could do that. Uh, You Darvish, if the Cubs really are serious about moving him, moving money, he could do that. And so it's hard to make a trade if what you're trading is out there on the free agent market times 10. You know, there's 10 guys like that player. But there's not a whole lot of inventory on the free agent market like Blake Snell. So that's what the Rays have going for
2: them. No question about that. I mean, you mentioned uh, you know, some of the big name trade uh, big name free agents. Do you think LeMahieu eventually signs with the Yankees? I- I've read that he's kind of the linchpin to their offseason at this point. And and they're the team I-, I would think among the teams still to beat in the American League. Yeah, he's their number one
5: priority and he's made it clear to them he wants to return. He's out shopping himself right now. It's what anybody would do. It's what any good agent would do. Uh, he look, he's a he's a Big, he's a big time player. Um, he could change the face of any team and any team's chance to win. So he's got interest. I mean, you've heard the Dodgers floated quite a bit connected with him, and is are the Dodgers being used to bump up the price tag for the Yankees? I think you could you could certainly make that conspiracy theory, but you know the the, the Dodgers love to dabble on players like that if they can control the years, keep the years to the minimum. So I think what this is going to do is just push the Yankees to maybe that one extra year and maybe another million or $2 per year to get this done. The Yankees don't seem to me to be shopping aggressively for anyone or anything outside of
2: DJ LeMayhew. And that tells you something. It certainly does. Jason, a couple other things Um, in terms of your standpoint who are the buyers in the American League? Is it the White Sox right now? I mean, they've added Lynn. <laughs> I mean, they've added Adam Eaton. Um, it doesn't seem like there's any other team, at least on the American League side, that's made a big push.
5: Well, nobody has pushed quite like the White Sox have, and there's a reason for that. You know, they're like they're they're at this point that they've been priming for now for several years. Uh, this is their time. This is the year that they think they're ready to win their division and potentially win it all. I I mean they're right now after trading for Lance Lynn, adding Adam Eaton, I don't think they're done. Like that's the favorite, I think, in the AL Central. But they're not the only team trying to add. Toronto is definitely a team to watch. Now I mean I've had some I've certainly had some other clubs question where The money's coming from to make the kind of additions of of big names that they've talked about but they're they're being extremely aggressive and then another team is the angels um you saw perry Minassian when he got hired as the general manager of that team say unequivocally that he had been assured by artie moreno their owner they were not cutting payroll that separates them from the pack so those are three teams that haven't won for a long time. And they're going to try to take advantage of a really depressed market by adding this offseason
2: instead of subtracting. Jason, one other thing from a race perspective. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the trade market, but other than the top tier of free agents, there's also not a lot of difference makers, as you mentioned. Could that help the Rays in terms of finding value as they have a tendency to do that a lot of players may have to settle for those one year deals to try and reestablish themselves?
5: Absolutely. I just
2: finished having this
5: conversation with an executive of another club in the American League. Um, Like, I just painted this portrait, Neil, of what this free agent market looks like, you know, more than 300 players total, more than 200 players coming off big league deals. Um, And I don't know how many are going to be out there after the first of the year when the prices tend to come down but it's going to be a huge number and so it's made to order for a team like the rays that has had so much success identifying undervalued players undervalued skill sets Uh, this is like this is right in their wheelhouse to be able to sign good players who are fixable or tweakable for way less than the normal market would command. I guess my question is, you know, we've heard Stu Sternberg talk about the idea that they've had significant losses. Do they need to move payroll in order to make those kinds of signings? Do they need to trade Blake Snell? Do they lead, do they need to move a Kevin Kiermaier? We're gonna find out the answers to that. I don't know those answers, but is this market set up for what the Rays do best.
2: Totally. Jason, great stuff. Uh, we hope the snowflakes are gone before long and we're seeing baseball <laughs> somewhere in the state of Florida sometime before a regular season starts.
5: Sounds good to me, Neil. All the best, man. Happy holidays.
2: That is the Hall of Famer in Jason Stark, and uh, we certainly appreciate having him on. Joining us on the podcast now, Mike Farron of Diamondbacks radio, and probably more well known on a national level with Sirius XM. And Mike, give me your take uh, for, from your standpoint. When does the off season really get moving?
6: Um, I think that the thing that would get the off season really moving is if all of a sudden that lawsuit that Major League Baseball filed against his insurance company were to come through. <laughs> there were to be several billion dollars in damages handed out throughout the industry. I'm only being partially facetious in that because I just don't think that there's anything that that's going to happen that really gets this cooking in a way that gets us excited. I think it's going to play out probably similar to the winter of 1617. Now in that one, we did see a couple of major trades at the, at the winter meetings where um, the White Sox made their two big significant deals in trading Chris Sale and, um, and trading Adam Eaton. Um, but outside of that, it was pretty quiet and it was pretty quiet in free agency. I think that that's kind of what you're going to see. And I would think that probably more like the deadlines of when spring training is going to start um, will have an impact. And maybe maybe this is the best way to look at it, Neil, is once we have a better, clearer idea of exactly when the season is going to start I mean, we're still scheduled and the league is barreling ahead like we're going to on time. But my guess is sometime in the next three to four weeks, we should have a real good sense of whether or not we're actually going to start on uh, at the beginning of April like we are scheduled to. And once we get that, I would think that that's going to ramp up the sense of of urgency. And with that, should give teams a little bit better projection on what attendance will look like.
2: Hmm. Uh, Good points. And, you know, in chatting with Jason Stark, he had mentioned to me that in the American (coughs) League, he sees the White Sox and maybe the Blue Jays as buyers right now. Do you see anyone else in that group in on the American League side?
6: Yeah, I think that there's a couple of I think there are a couple of different things that that um, could happen. I, I don't know about major buyers, but I but I have a list of teams that I've put together that even with a payroll reduction, I think could add. You know, Kansas City is one of those teams that, that already has a little bit. The White Sox are clearly there. I mean, I, th- I think my colleague on MLB Network Radio, Jim Duquette, you know, made a really good point. You don't hire Tony La Russa to be the manager to then cheap out in the winter, right? So mm-hmm. Tor- Toronto will spend some money. Boston a- it has said that they were going to spend to be more competitive. I think a team like Seattle could in the right spot. I think Detroit could in the right spot. And I think Minnesota has a little more flexibility than people realize because they have have a lot of players. They don't have any arbitration cases. They've got everybody signed, so they know what their numbers are, and they have really intriguing major league options that they could use via trade or you know very specific needs in free agency. So I think those are the teams that I would look at. You know, in the American League that could spend or or be able to. There are only a handful in the National League, you know, Mets, San Francisco, Atlanta, um, maybe Miami. I think that would be there. But I think we'd think that more of the spending is likely to happen in the American League, at least in terms of it being spread out. I think the Mets are going to spend a fair amount on their own.
2: Other than the top of the market, then that probably leads to a lot of, as we have now, a lot of one year, two year deals. Does that back end of the market help the raise in your mind at at the end game in terms of, how good they've been at finding players of value
6: late um it's a really good question let me run let me run a little counterintuitive of it i actually think it might hurt them more just because there are going to be so many players in play at the same level. And I think specifically when you look at that, you're looking at um, right-handed relievers, where I think almost a third of the free agent market right now is right-handed relievers. And I just think that even really good players are going to be valued at at, at the same level. And I think that that's, that's going to maybe reduce that some because you're going to see a lot of teams pick up that guy at you know two or $3 million. Um, that they wouldn't have been able to otherwise or maybe even one or two million dollars so I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case but only because it, it just feels a little bit um, just a little bit different market I think if they were to find inefficiencies or find players that were maybe undervalued I'd look at six-year minor league free agents um, I might look you know kind of an in injury rehab guys guys that are coming back or guys that maybe came back last year but didn't pitch a full season or didn't get get um, you know all the way ramped up you know I would think maybe he might be a little bit expensive but like a Garrett Richards type would kind of fit that mold where he pitched the full year and was healthy but um, was kind of in and out of the rotation and in the bullpen in the playoffs so I would think that that's probably where they're they would look more you know the thing is that like they to me the Rays really need a fair amount of offensive help and they can't count on it all coming internally and so I wonder how they address that and if the best way to do that isn't via trade.
2: How robust is the trade market if teams don't want to add a ton of payroll at this point?
6: Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a really fair question, and I don't know how robust it is. I mean, I think we there are a lot of teams that would like to move players who are owed money, and they are likely to move them to places that aren't really are, are taking on some of the payroll. So it, it's less likely that you're going to end up in a spot where you're, um, you know, the Rays acquiring one of those. You know, I'm sure the Rays would, you know, entertain thoughts of moving a guy like Kevin Kiermaier, but Kiermaier's value on the trade market is fairly limited, despite the fact that he's a great defender. You know, offensively, he ranks pretty far behind Jackie Bradley Jr. in terms of what they've they've averaged out the last three years. So, um, you know, I think it it's. It's tough to categorize right now. And I really feel like just in some of the conversations that I've had and some of the comments from general managers during this virtual winter meetings week, it, it feels like we're just getting started on the trade market. And everybody seems to think that most teams, maybe with the exception of the high end uh, of the free agent market, most teams are going to accomplish a good portion of their business in January.
2: Where do you think the top end of the market ends up in terms of the players, the top four or five guys? Where do you... I mean, a lot of people believe Lemayhu ends up back with the Yankees. Do you think that's the case? And where do the other guys end up?
6: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that that's still the safest money is on Lemayhu going back to the Yankees. That seems to be their priority. Um, and you know, I think obviously he was great there. He's well loved by his teammates. Like, I think that that makes the most sense to me in, in terms of that. As far as the rest of it, you know, it's a little bit tougher to start finding markets for some of these guys. I wouldn't. I mean, I think that the top end of the market is going to get their money. I think Springer, you know, ends up either in New York or Toronto. Um, that that being with the Mets or with with uh, Toronto, um, I think Bauer has a little bit more at play because he's a top flight starting pitcher. So maybe you could see him, you know, potentially go to a place like Minnesota where he's got a relationship with with Derek Falvey from his time in um, in Minnesota, or you could see the Angels play heavily on him. And so I think it's a there's a little bit more robust market there. Real Muto wouldn't surprise. Me if he ends up at a little bit of an outside the box place, so I think that's kind of the way I, I would look at that top end of, of the free agent market and, and where we see guys going. I don't think that there's I, I really maybe Real Muto is the guy that ends up in a place that is a little bit surprising just because he's a catcher and um, you know catchers have a ton of value and even if you're starting to come out of a rebuild having a good one that you can play um, you know regularly while you're you know developing your pitching certainly makes makes sense i think
2: on the other side atlanta's probably made the biggest move in terms of trying to catch the dodgers i guess so to mm-hmm. speak do you think san diego makes a big move this offseason in either trade or for agency and are they the, the best team position wise to try and make that move right now
6: yeah, I mean I think I think San Diego, it's gonna be really interesting to see how they handle um, you know, where they are financially. I mean, they they lost a key player already to free agency and jerks and profar, and they don't really have a great catching situation. I know everybody was very excited about Austin Nola and some of the numbers he put up in the first half last year, but Austin Nola is is a great story and a really good makeup guy and a great conversion story of an infielder to catcher, but he doesn't have a particularly long track record of offensive success or at least power hitting and you know he's been a good contact hitter throughout the minor leagues but a guy that really struggled to drop that four a label because he didn't have enough bat to really play in the major leagues or play there regularly so I think and, and and then add into the that that Luis Camposano, who's their top catching prospect, um, was arrested this winter in Georgia on a marijuana possession charge. And Georgia still has fairly strict laws when it comes to marijuana possession, so he's facing some you know a, a pot- potentially significant you know trial and situation there. So um, I think that they have some needs. I think that they could fill them. I think they definitely need depth in their rotation, but I don't see them playing at the high end. The one thing they they haven't done is really traded again from their their strength, which is their farm system. And while they may think that guys like Patinho and and Morahone and Gore can factor into the rotation this year, they certainly could use some of the other good prospects they have to be able to to you know acquire players that will help, you know, fill out that rotation or that roster to keep them, you know, right on the Dodgers' heels.
2: Good stuff, Mike. We appreciate a few minutes. Happy holidays and uh Hopefully, we actually are talking about the game starting sooner than later. Oh, knock on wood, Neil. <laughs> Certainly appreciate the time of one Mike Theron and also other guests on the podcast today, Dave and Andy, Eric Neander, as well as Jason Stark, the Hall of Famer. And thank you for listening. Of course, we'll have more as things develop. You can check out our blog, raceradio.moblogs.com. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. We'll talk to you soon.